So welcome to our third podcast, our Early Years Mental Health podcast with myself, Kate Moxley, and the wonderful Kerry Payne, EYFS for me. I hope you have um, listened to the previous podcasts in this series as they all seem to follow on um, and hope that you'll find them helpful, useful and interesting. Today we are going to talk about leadership and management and um, explore some different um, some different things around that. So I recently listened to the Brené Brown podcast with Dr. Mark Brackett. Have you listened to that one, Kerry? I have, yes. I just had so many light bulb moments listening to that. Mm. He was The title of that was Permission to Feel, and it was all about emotional intelligence. So Dr. Mark Brackett is, I think, is it the head of Yale, um, and he studied his life, lifelong work is emotional intelligence. And he's recently um, released um, a book as well. I think, is that called Permission to Feel? And um, I've got it on order on Amazon anyway. I can't seem to get my hands on it at the moment. But there were so many light bulb moments for me. And I suppose one of the, one of the biggest things was, and we so far in these, this kind of podcast series, we've talked about our own mental health. And I know when I went back to work as a manager, I manage, I'd learned so much about myself and you and I've talked about emotional intelligence before, haven't we? We've said that because of the mental health issues that we have experienced, it's made us better practitioners. It's made us more emotionally intelligent. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, because of the things that we've kind of faced and challenged, as we've said before, there's not one thing that fixes the us. There's not one thing. There's not one solution. There's not one tablet. There's not one exercise. There's not one therapy session or one thing we can do. It's a multitude of different things that enables and promotes our recovery. Um, and so because of that, we have, probably read more self-help and self-care books than the than the average person we've invested in ourselves yeah definitely and I think um I did an Instagram post the other night about I buy books for pleasure and they almost every time become highlighted that can be used for work that can be used for work because my general um, personal pleasure in reading is often around the human experience condition um you know how we we find a, a space of contentedness in in what we do every day so um so yeah but coming back to what you said um just a little while ago around you know there's not a kind of one size fits all or a quick fix something that i've found in terms of um well-being and mental health that i've used quite actively with the nurseries that i go into is this concept of having your own well-being blueprint and um, and so i with the best intentions when you're feeling down or when you're depressed or whatever emotion you're feeling it can sometimes be really overwhelming when somebody goes do yoga it's always yoga i always get people go, go do some yoga go and do some yoga it'll make you feel great and I sometimes sit there and I go, but that's not my blueprint. The way I feel better is is doing different stuff. So it's not always the the you know the typical top list of well-being ways. And we have to acknowledge that each person will have their own blueprint of how to approach and deal with and resolve their own mental health um, challenges or or difficulties and I think sometimes within leadership the emotional intelligence 
difference comes from um, understanding that we are a diverse, um, we have a diverse team with a diverse set of strategies and techniques to, to helping ourselves and helping others. So. Absolutely. And I, I think I mentioned this phrase previously that I, when I returned to work, how I felt was that I'd learned a very valuable lesson that there was nothing more important than my health. Mm. I don't think I'd ever really place value on taking care of my mental health or physical health properly. Mental health had never really ever popped up on my radar. You know, who even gets depression? How does that happen for somebody? You know, and so when all of these things started, you know, to happen for me, I, I learned the hard way that, my health is really important and the health of my team at the time was very important to me and I'd learned a lot about myself and those things that we talked about in the previous podcast so I was able to let go of resentment or a set of um, judgments that I had on someone because they weren't doing what I expected of them I felt like they weren't you know it, I, I was and I've wrote, spoken about this before I was expecting me from other people and yeah and so I, I for me that's how I how I talk about it still that there's nothing more important than your health and if you can hold that that value dear to you that it will help with your team because you can't let that resentment set in but actually listening to this podcast my light bulb moment was actually what I developed was what we've already said my my emotional intelligence but also my ability to connect with other people so rather than you know sympathizing and then worrying well actually I'm out of ratio or you haven't done that training or you haven't done that display or you can't come to a parents evening and that irritates the life out of me I was able to put myself in the position of my team and actually understand what was going on for them when they walked out the building sometimes it was often so much more than I'd ever realized that ability to connect and have that empathy with them um, was really powerful and I think that that's rooted in um, actually being able to um, split your practitioner into more than just good or bad. And like what I mean by that is, and I observe it still all the time in practice, is that when you go into a nursery and, and when I worked in a nursery, you have your good practitioners and you have your bad practitioners. And it, there was always that lack of noticing or acknowledging somebody as both good and bad bits or, you know, bits that weren't so great and bits that were fabulous. And so it, I feel like, I don't know if this makes sense, but I certainly felt this when I was a practitioner. I felt like it was on a tally chart. So I had to do, I had to always get it right. I had to always get it right. And if I got it wrong once, then I was the bad practitioner. And I think sometimes from a leadership perspective, and I've done it myself, it's like you said about the connection there okay, you haven't done those four things or actually that practice wasn't the, the best today, but that doesn't mean you are entirely a bad person. It, it's just, it didn't go right today. And I think that's the, the thing that sticks out to me when I go out and do consultancy is we still sadly have that culture of, oh, you know, it, some practitioners feel like they're on the last legs as though, you know, it's just four more ticks on the tally chart and they're out. Yeah. And the, the things that you go, but if you try to connect with that person, 
and you acknowledged that maybe that's not their strength because again I think we have this one size fits all in in early years that you've got to be good at everything as a practitioner and I, we're not I always say about the fact I hated outdoor play you could every time it was outdoor play I needed to set something up inside or I had an activity to do or I had to do some paperwork because I hated outdoor play and it was you know, eventually I kind of got to that point where I was like, we've got to accept that it's a symphony of skills. So we're not bad or good practitioners. We just are who we are. And leaders need to recognize that we are a mixture of those things. Um, and that, that is the emotional intelligence, is that recognition of, of those differences. Um, and, and making sure that practitioners feel secure. Because I know when I worked in nurseries, I felt with that tally chart that, you never felt job security because you thought, oh, if I fall out of favour or if my practice is not deemed good enough. And actually what we need practitioners to feel is that people are investing in them for the long term. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, absolutely. And I think it's really powerful to be able to say, I don't like going outside. Because, as an example, because as a practitioner, surely that means we should love every aspect of working with children and everything that entails. But that's not always the case. So, you know, my husband's a quantity surveyor. That's what he does by trade. But, you know, maybe, for example, he doesn't like leading people in tricky times. But now he's, you know, in this position of management and he has to do that because that comes with that role. So in early years, if we don't want to, you, you know, it's like a breath of fresh air. I think it's a bit of a relief. It's a weight off our shoulders. Actually, you know, I don't like you know, having these conversations with parents, sometimes I really struggle with that. Yeah. But there are some things that we will always have to do. But just that, it's like a breath of fresh air, really, just to be able to, to have those conversations. Um, and I suppose, going back to that emotional intelligence of leadership, it, it then everything that comes from that, we, what we're talking about is ethical behaviour. Because yeah. so often, we, as leaders and managers, and I'll have done it myself, you know, however many years ago I will have made wrong decisions I will have done things wrong I will have learned from them you know I and you will say this as well as a consultant now and a trainer now I don't know all the answers I, I every day is a learning day sometimes you say words to me Kerry and I've got no idea what they mean I don't know <laughs> what they mean either <laughs> yeah. I think there's power in that isn't there there's power in that definitely and I think what you've just said there about you know we've had this conversation endlessly I think actually about you know sometimes people associate the term consultant with fountain of knowledge I'm clueless about so many things I'm, I'm you know on my own learning journey I sometimes go into nursery as you know as a consultant and they ask me advice and I kind of go oh, uh, I, I don't and and it's that it's that vulnerability again to go actually I'm not too sure about that myself but let's work on it together because it isn't about knowing everything it's about having the emotional intelligence to find ways to grow as a team and um, to progress as a team and, and that's okay and I think you know the the biggest piece of advice I got when I started out as a consultant in a local authority is be human they don't need you to go in there being the big all you know I know everything be human um, and recognize skills and talents that you know I love I know you've heard me talk about them before but Ken Robinson's description of um, everybody having their own set of unique skills talents 
um, and personalities is what is so fascinating about the early years. And I love hanging around with practitioners. I think they are so interesting and so passionate. And if we take the time to do that, we really start to see the, the massive impact that they have on children. So I think it is about sharing the love a little bit um, with our practitioners. Absolutely, I suppose you know having um, a leader or manager who's got those skills to be able to manage their own feelings and understand other people's emotions feelings behaviors is really helpful to be able to develop that safe space to say okay I'm not so great at this this actually isn't an interest of mine but just picking up on what you said and that's a phrase I use all the time what are my special skills, strengths, talents? What are those things I'm really, really good at? Because my experience is so many of our workforce cannot own um, and be able to show up and say, this is my skill, this is my strength, this is something I'm really, really good at. And that makes me so sad. But I think it, it, as a society in the world that we live, you know, we've been conditioned to think that someone who is confident and can talk about themselves positively, they're a show off, they're a Johnny Big Potato, they're a who do they think they are type of person. And actually, it's about kind of redesigning that, isn't it? Yeah, and getting rid of the word just from their terminology. I'm just a practitioner, I'm just an, a preschool lead, I'm just a baby room lead, I'm just a manager. And it's like, hang on a second, you're working in the early years, and just because people beyond the early years don't value us, it doesn't mean that those children in front of you don't absolutely worship the ground you walk on. Colleagues, you know, we do see so many examples of cohesive and successful teams because they've got each other's backs even with social media, um, you know, I, I've been quite vocal that I find some social media platforms very, very hostile, but some of those platforms are actually some of the most supportive communities, bigging each other up and, um, you know, recognizing that the work that we do with the training that we get is insane. Like, I, I just think, you know, this term early years as superheroes or as the fourth emergency service that we're hearing at the moment, bloody right, yeah? men are doing men and women are doing this work you know with very limited training um and little investment so it's so true and actually picking up on that so years ago when i was working in a school um i was working in the morning as a ta and in the afternoon i was working as the manager as we started this like wraparound provision I was working in the afternoon nursery class as a TA. I'd never done it before. It was a really experienced team. And the other TA was finishing off her BA honours. And she said to me, do you want to borrow this book on leadership and management? And I was so offended by this because obviously I was a leader. I was a manager. I thought I took what she was saying and I realised now that I was, I felt insecure because she obviously knew everything. She was doing this degree. She'd been a TA for a while. It was my new. So from my place of insecurity, I took that as a dig. I thought she was trying to dig me out. Well, you obviously need to read this book because you are a rubbish manager and you don't know anything. That's how I took it at the time. I thought, who does she think she is asking me if I want to read this book? Doesn't she know I've worked in early years for 20 years? And then it was only oh, a few years later when I did my foundation degree myself and went through the BA honours and all of that. And I thought I had this moment of reflection and I thought I've never been on any leadership and management training, even though, isn't it ridiculous? Even though I've been a leader, even though I've 
worked in management positions for like 10, 15 years by this point. Mm. But I was so, I think that comes from this cycle that we're in where we give and give and give and it's never ever good enough. So what we build up is this big, you know, armour of, you know, defensiveness so that we can't, you know, we're, we're leaders and managers, don't you know? doesn't matter yeah. if you've never done a jot of training. <laughs> that's, um, that's a whole podcast in itself, isn't it, though, that insecurity? Because it's so funny that you say that because because um, obviously I've shared in the previous podcast that my mum and sister were my um, managers when I was a practitioner and I've been open actually as a consultant. I was a terrible manager, absolutely crap at management. I could not manage a team. I've got leadership skills. Um, you know, I would define myself as an excellent teacher with both um, young children and I would teach adults at, at university. So I know what my skills are and I, I know that I've, I've, I've um, worked hard to become a consultant. But it's one thing that I never let go of is that I was a crap manager. And when you feel insecure about that stuff, so I still like get that insecurity when I speak to my mum and my sister, that they're like, how are you a consultant? Because you were terrible at nursery management. <laughs> and I was like, because my because it isn't just about managing it's about it's about pedagogy it's about in practice it's about SEN and inclusion so I was a crap manager but I was a phenomenal Senko I absolutely took like a duck to water which is a leadership role and um, but it's so weird how everyone carries these like bags of insecurity and feel like I often feel weak around others but then when you actually connect to someone they're carrying their own bag of insecurity yeah. And then um, what I mean by that is I, you know, recently I've done the consultancy for many, many years now, but I recently went into lecturing about a year ago. I am the least qualified in my team. Um, I don't have a PhD, don't have a doctorate. I'm, I'm still getting used to academia. I'm, I work with a team of doctors in education. And, you know, the level of insecurity each day is, is, is kind of crippling. And I keep thinking, push myself out of my comfort zone. And what I've recognized, like you said there, if somebody offers me something to help me grow, so if somebody passes me a book and goes, you should read this, if I know that their intention is because they want to see me grow and develop, then I'm going to take that on full fold. Um, unfortunately, we do sometimes have that situation, don't we, where there are those dicks, though. So it's, it's knowing what's yeah. what. So it's that environment that you're in, isn't it? It's that environment you've created as a leader. I think it's being really open and honest with what your skills and strengths are as a manager and that you're not going to all, again, it's going back to that breath of fresh air moment almost. You're never going to get everything right. You, you know, I was the manager I was when I finished my career as a manager from all the mistakes and errors and things I'd made over the time. I still got things wrong. I still wasn't perfect. You know, um, no one is ever perfect to anything that they do but because our job is emotive I think we we constantly cross over those professional and personal boundaries and those lines all the time and we try to solve people's problems and we try to it, it can't help but feel personal to us when it's such an emotive role it is that and that's the thing with early years isn't it like my husband always says to me gosh you get yourself so worked up about your job and because he, he works in computers so he only has to deal with semicolons and space bars and it's <laughs> and he's like you get so passionate and you 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 know it's always in your mind and it's like because we're, we're working in a job and, and I get angry at him sometimes because I'm like 
I work in a job that eventually the, the, the client is a child, that the end product here is a child and their future and, and what's going to happen to them. So when I get passionate and angry about stuff, I'm not just doing it for the sake of it. I'm doing it because I'm like, we work with children and people and humans and it, it's a very... It's a very, very emotional role, actually. And again, I think that's something that is often overlooked, that we have to walk into an environment and we have to create this perfect synergy of being a human with personal feelings and emotions. And we have to combine that with a professional pedagogy. And yep. that is, it's, it, it's exhausting. It's ex it we can pay a lot more for what we do. <laughs> Absolutely, because we've all got our own work anxieties, our own work worries. And if you then adding it all together it's a huge melting pot of stuff that, that is going on but I suppose you know we 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 started these series of podcasts talking um about Brené Brown and also you know she talks about vulnerability and courage doesn't she and I suppose what we're talking about here is having that vulnerability with each other having that courage to be able to show up as we are um and support each other through that and I suppose at the moment in this current weird world we're living in this lockdown life mm. we're seeing so many people plan for the future and worry about the future when we don't know what the future holds mm. and I, for me i think one of the the most helpful and healthiest things we can do to put ourselves in the best possible position when our settings reopen and when we go back out to work is how we have supported our mental health and the mental health of the people that we work with for when that time comes yeah, and I um from the the podcast, the Brené Brown podcast, then the thing that I picked up on, I don't know if this was a separate one though actually, but it was talking about um with the with the the lockdown and the return to a new normal and, and whatever we're gonna call it. Um when you next ask somebody how are they how they are feeling, make sure that you want to know the answer because often we ask how people are feeling with no interest in, in, in anything other than I'm okay. And so what we have to develop going forward and, and a book I'm reading at the moment called You're Not Listening is very much about this concept of we have to listen to each other because that is where we learn. And so when you say to somebody how are you feeling? And that answer is is in the future, I think we are going to be hearing more people talk about more emotional experiences because we've just gone through a pandemic. Um, we've got to be prepared to listen to each other and and connect with them and and yeah be vulnerable and I think that's what I've um, started practicing actually from our last podcast that we did is being honest with people about how I'm really feeling I've been trying it in my lectures so I think the students would never expect a lecturer to go I'm feeling I'm really struggling today I'm having a hard day or I'm not feeling right I had a bereavement in January and usually I'd be like well that's personal this is professional and what I've learned to do is when somebody or when a group of people have put their trust in me to teach them and they go oh how are you today Kerry I go actually i've had a bereavement my grandma's died and i feel really sad i'm here to teach and you guys will uplift me but that's how i feel today and i found that my relationships have improved as a result of, of being able to say what i'm truly feeling and so if we're asking people how they're feeling allow them the space to be honest about that and don't see them as a burden if it's not the answer that you would hope for um it's, it's probably what i've learned about emotional intelligence I think it's just getting comfier with our feelings and sometimes that's the that's discomfort too isn't it you know we're all 
um, we've all been experiencing and navigating different things and not all of it is pleasant and and so yeah it's just having that power to be able to show up and uh, you know and this is who we are and how we're feeling and, and you know we're all human at the end of the day yeah and I think but the way you've just worded that then getting comfy with your feelings is such a nice way of looking at it because it makes it makes you realize that they are part of who you are like get cozy with them because they're, they're there to stay and um, you're gonna have to work with them they are you know you think what's that film inside out the, the little characters aren't they within yourself yeah. so get cozy snuggle up and, and yeah don't beat yourself up if, if um, you have a crap day or if you don't like something within your in your workplace or if somebody annoys you um it, I think it comes back to that kindness, doesn't it? It's being, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. And one of the biggest things that Brené Brown, it sticks with me all the time is you have to believe that everybody is doing their best. And by believing that everyone is doing their best, you actually only make yourself feel better yes. because how stressful is it when you're angry at people or when you're being, oh, you know, when you get kind of a grudge, it's actually more stressful for you as an individual to think badly of others. I love that because, you know, I, I, how I describe sometimes is we collect negative evidence about people or we collect negative evidence about our day. So we'll wake up, you know, maybe we step in some a puddle or we rip our tights or, and we go, oh, I knew that would happen. Oh, today's going to be a terrible day. I'm going to start again tomorrow. And we, or someone behaves in a certain way and we go, oh, well, it's because I'm not clever enough or it's because they're not a very nice person. And actually that is so a lot of the time our, our mindset really really helps us doesn't it actually that person's trying their best too it's you know really the negative evidence i need advice kate on how to start because i'm terrible i am awful for that actually i'm terrible and i but i do say to people i i, I know that i'm i know that this is a me issue <laughs> but then I'll, I'll be like the person did this this, this and this and yeah it's it's a horrible mind cycle to be in, isn't it? You have to, I suppose you have to work at seeing the good in things. It's a hard And I think, you know, that goes back to if we are maybe feeling low or we're tired or we're stressed or we've had a lot of on our plate, sometimes that distorts our thinking. And so it's in those moments that we look at other people and we compare ourselves or we collect that negative evidence and it wants to reinforce a negative image or stereotype or something that we've got you know in our in our mindset if you like and it's at those moments that we need to to fall back on those you know mm -hmm. other people trying their best and because it, you know we put so much pressure on ourselves don't we yeah 100% but hopefully you know I know not many people are talking about the positives that are going to come out of, of lockdown but I I really truly hope that that is one of the areas of growth is that the pressure that we put on ourselves lifts even a little bit and I've noticed it with myself I've started to implement more boundaried behavior so I'm starting to learn for the first time in my life to go no <laughs> I'm not going to do that because that's going to add a pressure and I've spoken up a few more times. So I'm hoping that people find, find their inner lions and, you know, kind of rah, a bit louder at things that, that aren't right. Yeah. And if today's not the day, tomorrow might be the day. There's, there's you know, um, you know, tomorrow can be a good day. Um, so, but uh, I think we'll perhaps leave it there because we will continue to talk forever on this subject. Uh, but thank you for um, for taking the time to uh, 
talk with us today and I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank yeah, you. Bye. Bye.